And so for that event, we had over 700 people uh, crowded into this facility and people from many, many different countries. I think over 20 countries were attending last year. Well, this year, thanks to the force of the virus, has caused us to um, go electronic. And so this year, we have at least, through the magic of electronics, at least twice that number in the temple today, and from many, many more countries around the world. So I want to give a hearty welcome to all of you. I also want to welcome you to, and thank you for joining us for this 51st Spiritual Renewal Week, a tradition started by Swami Kriyananda, our, our beloved founder and teacher, uh, back in 1969. And it's so wonderful how it has grown over the years, and now, as Jyotisha said, has said, uh, to include people from all over the world uh, in many different languages. It's being translated simultaneously today in Spanish and Italian, and uh, it's just wonderful. So I also want to thank all of our Ananda teachers throughout the world who have contributed to this week. We have so many inspiring, dedicated souls, and what people have done is pre-record many of our talks this week. The mornings will uh, generally include one recorded talk, and then we have supplemental talks from teachers from India, Assisi, and throughout our American community. So it's really marvelous. And then we have special treats on uh, tonight, Monday night, we will be um, having uh, kirtan that is pre-recorded that uh, Dharmadasa Nirmala, Nayaswami's Dharmadasa Nirmala from Sacramento headed up. But there are kirtan groups again from all over the world. And this will start today at five. And then just that little preview looking ahead, tomorrow night we'll have a uh, concert, a choir performance. And this is going to, please don't miss it. Again, it will start at five, but it's pre-recorded, so you can watch it at your convenience. But there'll be one song especially that uh, our choir directors, Bhagavati and Ramesha, are just, just very, very excited about. It's presentation of O Master with over 94 voices from all over the world. So, so many wonderful things to look forward to. And we, this is very exciting. And it's a new model of what spiritual renewal we can be. And I think even in the future when people can travel and come here in person, we will continue this model of offering a great breadth of different inspiring activities uh, for you so that we can bring Master's Ray, God's light, the blessings into the world at this time. Now Jyotish has a very exciting brief announcement. So along with many other little goodies and surprises during the week, we are launching a new book this week. This is called Stand Unshaken. As many of you know, Davy and I write a weekly blog. And so what this has is for each of 30 days, it has one of my paintings, a different painting for each day, and then and then it has a, a little excerpt from one of our blogs that uh, 
works along with that painting. And this is the first time we have ever printed a book with uh, this many of my different paintings in it. So we are very, very happy to launch this book today. And it can be pre-ordered uh, through Crystal Clarity. And uh, it will be released in physical form in a, about two weeks. So if you would like a copy of this, which I hope that many of you will, uh, please pre-order and we'll get copies to you. Thank you. So now we invite our singers, our choir directors to come. If you're seeking freedom in a revolution, or if you're seeking freedom, you won't find it there. For once the guns are blazing, you'll find it amazing how the world can drag on just as before. If you're seeking freedom in a marble mansion, or if you're seeking freedom, you won't find it there. For even when it's sunny, you'll be counting money, keeping up that showcase, your face lined with care. And if you're seeking freedom on a throne of power, or if you're seeking freedom, you won't find it there. For though men all obey you, what if they betray you? Tends to be and waiting for foes everywhere. Seeking freedom, cast away desires, why barter like a beggar, you've wealth everywhere. For never can you buy it, grasp and you deny it, freedom can't be hoarded, it's free as the air. And if you're seeking freedom, seek it on the Got sunlight on your shoulders, the wind in your hair. For there's no one can hold you, boss about or mold you. Once your heart is free, you'll be king everywhere. For there's no one can hold you, boss about or mold you. Once your heart is free, you'll be king everywhere. Is yours 
morning is, well, not dare to be different, dare to be free, but it's, uh, if you want to control your destiny, control your life force. So control your life force, and you'll control your destiny. So we think that we can find changes outside through a revolution or through gaining wealth and having a marble mansion or having a throne of power. But no permanent changes ever take place by anything outside of one's own consciousness. The only way to have permanent change is to have change of consciousness. And it takes the individual and the world a very long time to learn that lesson because we are created in such a way that our energy tends to go outward. And so we see the world around us and we think by changing that which is outside of us that we will change, make ourselves happy. But it simply does not work that way. Master said something, when, when we speak, there are, because there are so many people watching, there will be some people who aren't familiar with some of the terminology we use. So Ananda's teachings come from a great lineage of teachers, uh, starting with Babaji. But uh, Paramahansa Yogananda came, we're celebrating his 100th anniversary of coming to America. And he brought these teachings to America. So when we say master throughout this week, which is our way of referring to him, it, it, we're referring to Paramahansa Yogananda. So Master said something very interesting. He said that the only difference between a mind, a thought, energy, physical universe is the rate of vibration. Everything is vibration. What is vibration? He said that vibration is energy in motion. So God beyond creation, is motionless consciousness. It doesn't have a vibration. In order to bring about a manifestation, he takes a small portion, uh, Lahiri Mahashaya said 1%, takes a small portion of his consciousness 
And he begins to vibrate that. First, he vibrates it only a little bit. And when you vibrate it only a little bit, the world uh, that is created is a world of thought, also called the causal world. As you vibrate it more, you bring that, those thoughts, you bring them into light and into sound, into the sound of Om. And as you bring consciousness into energy, you create another world called the astral world. And then as you vibrate even more strongly or more rapidly, you bring that light and that sound vibration into form of the physical world through um, atom and electrons and the subatomic particles. But remember, all of it you can trace back from the solid appearance. I can knock on this table. It feels solid to my hand. It makes a sound when you rap on it. I can't push my hand through it. But underneath the atoms, underneath the form of the table is atomic energy, which is only energy. And the only reason I can't push my hand through that table is because the energy of the electrons that make up the, the table and the energy in my hand, they have the same, uh, same negative charge. Therefore, they repulse each other. And so we think that the world around us is solid and real. Nothing could be farther from the, from the fact of it. This, this world is simply not what it seems because our senses have been perfectly adjusted to make this world seem as if it's solid and if it's uh, just the way we see it and feel it and touch it and hear it and so on. Now, that mass consciousness is in Indian scriptures called maya or delusion because we don't see reality as it is, but we all share in the same kind of reality. That mass non-understanding is called maya. And maya or delusion is the way the world operates. Now, if we have individual misperceptions, that's called avidya, or vidya is knowledge or wisdom, and avidya is the lack of that. And so we have mass uh, delusion, and then we have individual error. So how do we get out of this? Because what we are really trying to do is we're trying to trace our way back into the uh, successive stages by which we're created. So we're trying to trace our way back out of the physical delusion into a world of, of energy and light and that's much more subtle and much more expansive. Now God has set it up so that we don't have to inhabit this physical body forever and ever. Think, you know, people have talked about being immortal in the physical body. Think how terrible that would be. You know, as you grow a little bit older, you think, oh boy, this thing is breaking down and I've got to get out of it. Well, God lets us out of it. And so 
when we die, we go to the astral world, and then we spend a period of time there. But because we carry with us desires from the physical world, we have to reincarnate in the physical world again. And so that cycle of birth and death, the shift between the physical world and the astral world goes on over and over and over again. Not just a few lives, but thousands, perhaps tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of lives. And it goes on for as long as we continue to carry desires to experience the physical world. God has created this whole thing for our master said entertainment and education. People ask, why did God create the world? The traditional answer is India is it's God's play. It's his way of playing. The way we dream at night, we take a little bit of our consciousness and we create a dream world. And Master said that that is spiritually done in order to show us how God creates this world. So we enjoy those dreams at night or we don't enjoy those dreams because the vibration creates duality. And with that duality, there's positive and there's negative. And so we're trying to get out of the <clears throat> delusion, the mass delusion, and out of the uh, traditional attachments to it and desire for it and trace our way back. And when we succeed in getting rid of all of our desires for this physical world, and neutralizing all of the karma that we have created through many, many past lives, then we no longer have to incarnate on this plane. Doesn't mean we cease to exist because the soul incarnates on all three of these planes. And so then we're on the astral world, but then we have birth and life between the astral and the causal world. And so on it goes until finally we are freed from all desire to be in any form that separates us from that silent, motionless consciousness of joy, ever new, ever expanding joy, Master called it. So if we want any permanent changes, those changes have to come as changes in consciousness. We can't change the phenomenal delusionary world around us and think that that's going to do anything. I'm going to talk mainly about how we change, how we do this movement for our individual consciousness. Davy's going to talk mainly about mass consciousness and how we do it for the whole world, for the, uh, how, how we work with that. So let's come back for a moment to, um, to this sense of we're trying to move from the gross and the unreal to the very subtle and the real, the only thing that exists. So one of the things that Master talked about, one of the very, very first books he ever wrote, talked about the psychological chart, the spectrum of consciousness. In our schools, we call this specific gravity so that we work with the specific gravity of consciousness. Let me describe that because it's very helpful to understand it 
fairly clearly. So imagine a column of water. And imagine that you have a, a balloon, small balloon, with a weight attached. And you have balanced that exactly so that it floats right in the middle of that column of water. And so if that balloon with the weight attached, if that shrinks a little bit, the weight is going to pull it down. So contraction of that pulls it down and forces us to drop to the bottom. Let's further imagine that this column of water is light at the top and dark at the bottom, the way the sea is. So as, we, as that balloon, which represents consciousness, as it shrinks and goes down, the thoughts become darker, more negative, more stuck. And I'll come to that in a moment with Master's psychological chart. But now imagine that that balloon expands a little bit. It begins to rise. And in fact, if it expands enough, it'll rise to the very top of that column of water. And if it expands even more than that, it'll pop right out of the water and start going up into the atmosphere. And if it expands enough like a hot air balloon, it will go to the very top of the atmosphere. And maybe, so if we're seeking freedom, call that rise up and out of the confines of the downward pull of gravity. If we're seeking freedom, that freedom comes from expansion. And if we're seeking to get stuck, and to get more thrones of power or uh, marble mansions or revolutions, if we want to contract, then that column of water goes, uh, that, that balloon shrinks uh, into a dense matter and it sinks to the bottom. Now, we can't get out of anything except by the change of consciousness. So now, Let's replace that column of water with the column of the spine, especially the astral spine. And now let's think that that balloon, when we release it, resides in the heart, the anahat chakra, the feeling nature. Now, it resides there because that feeling nature, if we can release the desires and attachments in the heart. It's this um, energy is called chitwa. Patanjali, great master of ancient yoga that every great master refers to, said that as soon as we release the whirlpools of feeling that keep that energy stuck, we will experience the balloon will rise or the, our consciousness will rise and expand and we'll experience samadhi or unity with everything that is. So that expansion of consciousness now works in our spine. So how does it work in terms of consciousness? I think we've got the model of, of expansion uh, and contraction um, works to free us or to keep us bound. Well, what does this mean in terms of consciousness? One of the very first books that Master printed when he came to this country was something called the Psychological Chart. 
And in the teachings of India, in the Bhagavad Gita, it talks about the levels, different levels of consciousness. And as those levels of consciousness change, so behavior changes. And so think of the top of the column of water, or here we're the column of the spine. Think of the top of that as being light and expansive. And that's called sattvic consciousness or sattva. And think of the dense, comes down to the bottom, gets stuck there. That's tamasic. In the Bhagavad Gita, it talks, oh, I don't know, a tenth of that scripture is talking about the levels of consciousness and how they express themselves. So Master took basically that teaching and he gave us the psychological chart. And so, in, as I said, in our school system, we work with something called the uh, specific gravity, and, which is that movement up and down. And instead of calling it tamasic and sattvic, and in the middle is, ener is something that energizes the consciousness, and that can either energize it in an upward direction or a downward direction. So we work with usually four levels of consciousness. Tamasic, or uh, as we call them in our schools, um, we call them um, truth-sharing level at the top, truth-seeking level, self-centered level, and morally handicapped. So we use that terminology. So thinking of, let's, let's take the relationship to security, to money, to possessions, and look at them as they express themselves at, in, in this ascending order. So a person who is morally handicapped, how does he relate to money? He's dependent through want, uh, through want of capacity. He doesn't have any skills. Perhaps he doesn't have very much education. He doesn't have any will, very much willpower to change and to learn. He has a stealing propensity. He has a begging nature and he's covetous. Speaking of a beg begging nature, there was a man in India, reminds me of a story. There was a man in India who was actually very intelligent. He had been a lawyer. But he had a kind of a mental breakdown. He, he was connected with Ananda. He had a kind of a mental breakdown and couldn't work. But he would still come and visit Swami from time to time. And because he couldn't work, he began on the streets of Assisi begging. And there are many, many pilgrims that come there. And, and people would give him money because he would dress like a, a I don't know, a mendicant, a, a person that uh, uh, was spiritual and people would give him money. But he came and was talking with Swami and Swami told him, he said, this is not good for you. You ought to not beg anymore and you ought to go back to work. Well, in some flip of his consciousness, his mind had become tamasic or morally handicapped. And you know what his response was to Swami? He said, why should I go back to work? I make more money begging. And so 
you can see how that is not going to allow him, that consciousness is not going to allow him to rise. So what's the next level? This is the self-centered level. How does that relate to money? Selfish, overly fond of dress and display, crafty, overly clever, and has initiative. So, so think of a kind of a merchant that cheats uh, in his shop. I just finished a blog with, uh, with a merchant that cheats. And so you have this crafty nature. The truth-seeking uh, level is this is somebody who uh, is, is genuinely seeking to rise. And now he's executive, ambitious, capable of initiative, having the power of accommodation and adaptability, and he's tenacious. So that allows him to, to rise in consciousness. And then finally, what is the truth sharing level? Non-attached, doesn't care about personally having a marble mansion or power or any of that, just wants to share truth, benevolent toward the needy, philanthropic tendency, and reforming spirit. I won't go on with that because you get the idea and we will, during the week, we will post um, the ability to uh, download a psychological chart so you can look at it. All I wanted to do was to basically talk about the fact that as our consciousness expands, so does our behavior, so do our tendencies. Everything changes as the consciousness changes. So now how do we change the consciousness? So now we've got the energy flowing in the spine. We've got the center of consciousness, let's say in the heart, or the specific gravity of consciousness in the heart. As we bring it up toward the spiritual eye at the forehead, it expands our consciousness. As it descends or contracts, it contracts in the spine. And so many, many of the techniques of yoga and the techniques of our path are meant to work directly on that energy. Now, you might ask, well, why do we need to go through all of that? Why can't we just say, well, I want to be free and be free? Well, Master said, if you could say that with enough conviction, you would be free immediately. You'd merge right back into God. But because the mind is already, one might say, tainted with maya, tainted with desire, stuck, we can't get out of this cycle just by thinking about it. We can't, the, the mind because of the way that maya works, according to the level of our specific gravity, that's the way that we perceive the world. And the thoughts that we have, the desires that we have, the way that we interact, the new ideas that we have, we think, oh, we're really free. We aren't free at all. It's all determined, almost all, by past karma, by the way that we've thought before, the way that we perceived before. And so we are pretty much stuck where we are 
because the mind can't get out of the mind by the thoughts of the mind. And the mind will perceive and think according to its level of specific gravity. So we have to change the life force. We have to change the energy in order to move that paradigm. And so what we have to do is introduce an energy that is beyond just the thoughts, just the mental patterns that we have. And so what we do with this, <clears throat> the techniques of yoga, and Master said that this one particular seed realization was India's great gift to the world. And that's that there's three things that are linked. One is the mind, which I've been talking about. The second is energy or life force. And the third is the breath. And so if the mind can't change the mind, how do we rise? Well, we introduce energy. Just as how, how does that balloon expand? If you introduce heat into it, the air expands, the balloon expands, and it begins to rise. So you have to introduce energy or life force. Now, in subtler realms in consciousness, the way you introduce energy is because it's linked with the breath. You can do practices with the breath, which we have uh, all of the pillars of our spiritual path work with this with this triangular cycle of breath, energy, and mind, consciousness. And so in order to change our destiny, we have to work with the energy or the life force. Change your life force, change your destiny. Now we have basically two kinds of destinies. One is to lead a better life because, let's face it, you look around and you and I can both talk about, oh, this world is Maya, this world is delusion, this table isn't really real as it seems. And that's a nice mental concept. But as soon as I fall and bump my elbow on this table, I, I forget all that fine philosophy and this world becomes very real to me once again. And so with everything going on in your life, it is hard to get detached enough to think that this world is unreal and therefore I don't need to deal with it. And in fact, until we're free from all attachment to it, it's spiritually harmful to think too much that this world is unreal. It detaches us from the level of consciousness that we're functioning on. So there's one kind of destiny, which is to raise the consciousness even though we're within the world of maya or the world of delusion. But there's a second kind of destiny that is even, one might say, more important, and that's to raise the level of consciousness to the point where we move out of the whole paradigm of Maya, and we merge back into God. Ultimately, that's the destiny for everyone. The destiny of 
re-merging into that which is our essence, which is God beyond any creation. But until we get there, we still have to deal with creation. And so let me talk about how to deal with this world in such a way that our consciousness begins to rise and goes upward and expands. So I'll give five keys to working in this world, but working in such a way that our consciousness will expand. And if you practice, really if you practice any one of these keys, your consciousness will expand. If you practice all five, I'll give you a guarantee. I'll write it here in light. Jyotish's guarantee. Practice these five and your consciousness will expand. Okay. The first one is be positive. Uh, excuse me, be kind. Why? Why would you start with kindness? Because remember the energy is here in the heart chakra, in the anahat chakra. Kindness expands the feeling nature. It expands it from thinking about yourself to thinking about others, to wanting to help others, to wanting to uplift others. So think in terms of as you function, as you go through this very day, or for those of you watching at night, when you wake up tomorrow, the first thought let it be, let me spend this day being kind. If you can be kind, that will expand your heart's, your feeling energy, and your consciousness will rise. The second thing that will help you is learn to focus. Learn to concentrate your mind. The, there was a very telling um, Two of the richest people in the world are Bill Gates and a man called Warren Buffett and their friends. They were having dinner at uh, Bill Gates's house and his father was there. And his father said to both of them, I want you in one word to write down the secret of your success. Just write it down in one word. And they thought they wrote, had a piece of paper. They thought... They wrote it down. They both wrote down one word that was the same, that was the secret of their success. Two of the richest people in the world. What was that word? Focus. They had both focused their energy. Master talks again and again and again about the power of the mind. The mind has infinite power behind it because it has the power of the universe, the power of God's consciousness, which is there, but our minds are scattered. They're, they're, they tend to go outward. They tend to not be able to focus. And so if, if we want to have success, we need to bring the consciousness of our minds into a single focus on what we're doing. Swami was a master of this. He could be sitting and editing um, his writings and there would be chaos all around him and he would just be ignoring it, editing. 
I came from a family where my father was a very quiet man, but boy, did he have concentration. He was an architect and an engineer. There were three children in our family. We had a dog. My mother talked a lot. And my father, for his entertainment and enjoyment, would be sitting at the kitchen table in the midst of this chaos, working out calculus problems, because that, that was enjoyable for him, totally ignoring everything around. So I have to say that if whatever concentration I have, ability to focus, I come by it honestly. But focus is the next thing. So kindness and focus. And then stay positive because the mind has, as I said, infinite power behind it. But if you stay positive, that infinite power will flow. If you, uh, another way of saying this is willingness or enthusiasm. If you have enthusiasm, that opens the switch for that infinite power to flow through you. Staying positive and focusing your mind, man, there is nothing in this world you can't accomplish if you can do that. The next is depend more on your intuition for your answers. Master gave a whole lecture about how people try to study outwardly, they look outwardly, they try this, they try that, but the real answers come within. And he said that if people would depend more on their intuition, they would accomplish more. In fact, I have a quote I'm going to read about that. Every human being is a representative of the infinite power. You should manifest that power in everything you do. Whenever you want to produce something, do not depend only on the outside source. Go deep within and see the infinite source. All methods of business success, all inventions, all vibrations of music, all inspirational thoughts and writings are recorded in the annals of God. First, determine what your goal is. Ask the divine to direct you in the right direction, whereby your objective will be fulfilled. Then meditate. Afterward, act according to the inner direction that you receive. Then you will attain what you want. <coughs> When the mind is calm, how quickly, how smoothly, how beautifully you will perceive everything. Success in everything will come to pass in a short time, for cosmic power can be proved by the application of right law. <coughs> Advanced disciple was a self-made millionaire. And he challenged Master. He said, well, this was when he was first with Master. Later on, he didn't challenge Master at all. He was virtually merged with him. But in the beginning, he said, well, your teachings are good for material, I mean, for spiritual things, but they won't produce material success. And Master said, certainly they will. I can make $5,000 in a month. Now, $5,000, this was in 1927. 
or 26. $5,000 then was 50000 or $100,000 now. So it'd be like Master saying, sure, I can apply these things. I can make $100,000 in a month. And the fellow said, well, then show me. So what did Master do? He didn't run out and start doing this and that and studying and looking at everything. He sat down and he meditated. And in meditation came to him. Now, meditation, you can't just think about a problem and meditate. You have to go very within, get very calm and centered without the mind roiling up the surface of your consciousness. <coughs> because intuition is the power of the soul. So, Master did that. Then he applied this goal, as he said. I have the goal of making $100,000 in today's terminology. And into his mind came the picture of houses. And so he thought, oh, I should buy some houses. And so he looked in the newspaper and he picked out a few houses to buy. Now, he didn't have money, but this multimillionaire did. And so he called him up and said, you should buy these houses. And the man said, I don't want to do that. The market is dropping. It's falling. And the housing market is terrible right now. And Master said, do you trust me or not? And said, all right. So he bought, I don't know, let's say five houses. Two weeks later, the market turned around and started going up. And in a month, he made $100,000 profit on it. Master did that, not because he cared about profit. <coughs> yeah. Somehow my throat is dry. I'm going to get a cough drop. So if you hear it rattling around, it's me trying to lubricate my throat a little bit. So Master did that not because he cared about money, but he wanted to demonstrate the principle that intuition, rightly applied, will answer practical problems. <clears throat> and then the final thing. You have to stay with it. You have to have perseverance. So kindness, focusing your mind, using intuition, staying positive, and staying with it long enough <coughs> with perseverance will end up producing the result that you want. So as I said, you have my written guarantee that if you practice those five things, your consciousness will expand. And that will help you navigate this world of maya better. But ultimately, we want to get out of maya. And so what are the things that will get us out of maya? The first... <coughs> I'm sorry about this raspy throat. I didn't expect it, but here it is, unbidden. The first thing, and this is what Yogananda's guru, Sri Yukteswar, said, learn to behave. Proper behavior 
is the first spiritual quality. And Patanjali, he starts out the Eightfold Path by the Yamas and the Niyamas, <clears throat> which are the behavior patterns. Yama means essentially to be able to control yourself <coughs> so that you don't engage in negative downward pulling activities. Niyama means to control your energy enough so that you do engage in things that are helpful to you. So avoid evil and do good in your behavior patterns. The next thing is that you need to get non-attached. That if you're too attached to this world of maya, you don't have the motivation or the ability to move beyond it. And so work just gradually. As the energy rises, you will naturally become less and less attached. But those attachments that catch you, avoid those as much as possible. Because maya is, let's call sticky. It's like there's strange attractants in it. And if you get to those particular things that attract you, it will keep you stuck in the world of maya. The next thing is that you need to control your emotions. Remember the energy is in the heart? You have to control the likes and dislikes. You have to control the flow, the directional flow of your energy. You have to pull it inward and upward. It's done by devotion to God, and which is a higher form of the expression of love. And finally, and this is the most important of all, is be attuned to the guru. Be attuned to the wise ones who are your teachers because they have been sent specifically. God has manifested in that form in order to help you get out of maya and back into the unity from which we all came. So I'll end just by talking very briefly <coughs> techniques of our path. And in fact, since my voice is so raspy, I'll just say the techniques of our path. Energization. Master said energization is the only way that we have of drawing energy into the body that doesn't depend on outside sources, depends on our concentration. Learn and practice energization. Li Hong Saw, which allows the focus of the mind that I was talking about and brings it to the point between the eyebrows. Third and most important of our techniques, and all of these use the principle that I was talking about, breath, energy, and mind. All of them work with that dynamic. Kriya Yoga is the most valuable and important technique. If you have it, practice it. If you don't, learn it. Through these methods, you will 
expand your consciousness, and you will reunite with God. God bless you. And I want to thank the first speaker for his wonderful talk. And, and now uh, we'll do part two of Change Your Life, Change Your Destiny. And I want to start by sharing a wonderful story that Master told and very uh, appropriate for this topic. He, he said there was once a king who said to one of his subjects, I'm going to ask you a question. And if you answer it properly, you are free to go and I will reward you. If, but if you can't answer it, in two weeks, I will hang you. Pretty despotic king, but uh, such were those times. And so the man, and the question was, where does God sit and what direction does he face, north, south, east, or west? And the man didn't know what to say, and he returned to his home, and he had a very trusted, loyal, wise servant. And he said, oh, my goodness, I'm in a terrible dilemma. In two weeks, the king will hang me if I don't know how to answer this question properly. And the servant, being a man of poise and wisdom, said, don't worry, master. I will, I will go in your place. I will know how to answer this king's question. So two weeks went by, and the servant appeared. And he said, sire, I am standing in place for my master. And the king said, very well. And then the, the servant, apparently he was a little cheeky fellow, he said, but since I'm going to be your teacher today, Lord, I am answering your question, I will sit on your throne and you will come down and listen to me. And the king was a little surprised, but I suppose he needed a lesson in humility. And so he agreed. And the servant said, Lord, bring here a cow. So they brought in a cow. And then the servant asked the king, where is the milk? And the king said, well, it's in the udder. And the servant said, no, sire, you are wrong. Milk is the essence of the cow. It is all pervasive. And then, he, then the servant said, bring me a bowl of milk. So they brought a bowl of milk. And the servant asked the king, where is the butter? And the king said, well, I don't see any butter. And he said, well, Lord, milk, the essence of milk is the butter. It's all pervasive within us. And then he smiled and he said, so it is with God. You can't say God sits here or what direction he looks. He is all pervasive. He is the essence of everything. And fortunately, the king was satisfied with this answer and no one was hanged that day. But this is very applicable to our topic, change your life force, change your destiny. Because what is life force? I want to kind of, before we go on, define the terms that we've been using. Life force. Well, Master called it life trons. He also called it uh, prana. And it is the, just as the milk in the cow and the butter in the milk, this life force, this prana, is all pervasive. Master defined it as intelligent, so it's conscious, it's aware. Intelligent, finer than atomic energy, which sustains everything. 
And so this is this, we, uh, before the class started, they were playing that wonderful chant, which is actually from uh, a prayer of Master. What is this life flowing in my veins? Could it be other than divine? What is this energy flowing through my form? Could it be other than divine? And so this life force, which sustains everything, is it, it's the essence of who we are. It's all pervasive. And if we want to put it really simply, life force is how God flows through us, how the consciousness of God animates us. Now, Master also said there are two kinds of prana or life force. One is, we might say, macrocosmic, vast and global and beyond uh, pervading the universe. And that's the life force which animates and sustains all life. And then there's the microscopic prana, which how it's expressed in every different individual, every life form from a, a plant to a insect to an animal to a human being. Each one is dowered with that life force. And it's what keeps this world in play. But remember what is that life force? It's the intelligent, finer than cosmic energy that pervades everything. And then let's, then we, our topic, change your life force, change your destiny. What's destiny? How can life force change our destiny? Well, Master, again, he said people gave us a good definition. He said people confuse fate with destiny. He said there is no fate. Fate means, and the way he, using the term, it's that kind of imposed on you from outside. You are destined, you are determined that this will happen. And when you read a lot of the Greek myths and so forth, that it, the kind of, um, I don't know, whimsical gods would just doom this person or enlighten that person or, uh, but it was just this force from outside. Master said there is no fate, but there is destiny. And what is destiny? It's the patterns that we set in motion through our own karma, our own past karma. And so there is destiny, and it does determine our actions. But what Master says is, what, what, with regard to karma, what we have done, we can undo. And so we can, by the use of life force, intelligently, Bring in, we'll go into more specifics, bringing it to bear, we can undo the karmic patterns that, that determine what will happen in our life. You know, people go to psychics and um, astrologers, and there are some astrologers that are, do know how to read the stars, but many of them don't. But remember when, uh, in autobiography, when <clears throat> Master's brother uh, had a horoscope drawn, drawn up and said, you will, according to your horoscope, the planetary pattern in which you were born, you will marry three times, be twice a widow, twice widowed. And Master took that horoscope and burnt it and put the ashes in a bag and said, uh, seeds of past karma, can, wrote on the bag, seeds of past karma cannot germinate when roasted in the fires of Kriya Yoga. And as we were saying, Kriya Yoga is using that life force to undo karmic patterns. And so 
how this is, if we understand this, what Master came to show us was how to use the life force to change the patterns that we have set in motion. And yes, we can undo what we have done, but every person has a different and particular test, a maze they have to walk through, one might say. But ultimately, as Jyotish said, there is really only one destiny. And Swami put it so beautifully, he said, the one destiny that we all have is to choose of our own free will to merge back with God. To choose. But that's the pivotal word, because we're not free to make that choice if we're bound by past karmic tendencies. And so using the life force to break aside, to tear down all those barriers of past error that we have uh, erected, and to say, by my own free will, my, I will fulfill the destiny of self-realization. By my own free will, I will choose to merge with God. So what we're celebrating, as we said in the beginning of our talk this morning, a hundred years of Master's mission to the West and by extension to the whole world. And our theme for this week of spiritual renewal was Master's, the 100th anniversary, living his teachings today. And this is very important because what Master brought, he was an avatar of this age, Swami said, and we'll go into that in a bit. But what Master's mission was really to show us the connection between life force, energy, and consciousness. And he did it through the techniques he brought, through the energization exercises, he, that he said it was his unique contribution to the science of yoga. And what he really was trying to get us to see was that by the use of life force, we can find freedom from all the things that limit us. We can find freedom from past bad habits. We can find freedom from failure consciousness. We can find freedom from um, lack of material prosperity, freedom from disharmony with other people, not being able to get along with others. We can find freedom from fear, which is so rampant in the world today. We can find freedom ultimately from delusion, and we can find freedom from being separate from God by using through the techniques of our path and through consciously understanding what he was trying to do in, for the uh, more than 30 years, came in 1920, left the world in uh, 1952. So for 32 years, with a brief sojourn in India, in 35, 36, he was trying to get people to be aware that they are more than the physical body, more than the mind and emotions, but they ultimately that they are energy, that we are beings of energy, and how to apply that energy for our own benefit in our own life. 
and the lives of those around us, not just for our own benefit, but when we begin using that life force, Swami Kriyananda was a wonderful example, using that life force in everything he did for the upliftment of humanity. And the formula that Master gave was, in a way, it, it was very simple. And there are five, perhaps, different formulas that I'll share talking about life force and how we can work with it. So number one, life force plus energy plus magnetism equals success. Number two, life force, and Master gave us techniques for all of this. Number two, life force plus right diet, right exercise equal radiant health. And his writings on diet and exercise are extensive. But if you live them, you will see the benefit. Number three, life force plus positive thinking, as Jyotish was talking about, equal solutions to all of life's problems. You know, you can do all the same things. You can have positive thinking. You can have right diet and exercise. You can have uh, willpower and magnetism. But without the component of life force, it won't produce the results you're looking for. So life force is the essential. Then number four, life force plus the techniques of meditation and Kriya Yoga produce soul awareness, realizing who you really are. And then finally, Master brought through his whole life, through his being, through his voice, through his whole mission, life force plus devotion brings oneness with God. And so that simple, those five simple formulas, but the essential thing is the introduction of the life force. And it brings us success, radiant health, solutions to our problems, soul awareness, and oneness with God. But the essential thing is to introduce that life force. So, we, uh, Master's mission also, he came many times throughout history, but his mission was always in response to the needs of the time. When he came, and these are lives that he shared with his disciples, he came as William the Conqueror, that was 1066, Middle Ages, and he came and he why did he come then? What was his mission? To introduce rule by, by law, by just law, not just arbitrary power. And he really, they say that the government of England, is the law, which Master started, is the longest existing continual government in recorded history. That's quite an accomplishment. But he came at that time. Those were the needs of that time to uplift ma mankind in that way. And then he came again later, I believe it was in the 1300s, as uh, a king in Spain, Ferdinand. And what was his mission then? It was a time when the Moors, 
were coming up out of Africa, the Muslims, and they were conquering, beginning to conquer Europe. Well, that wasn't what was meant to be in the grand scheme of things. So even though his armies were greatly outnumbered, Master's mission in that age was to push the Moors out of Spain, and he was successful. And then he came in now at this point in time. And what is this point in time? It's the transition from Kali Yuga to Dwapara Yuga. And it's a very, very critical time. If you haven't noticed, this is the world isn't very stable right now. But he came because Swamiji, Swami Kriyananda said, Master was the avatar for Dwapara Yuga, but he was the way shower for the new age. And in uh, his very powerful book written by Yogananda's guru, Swami Sri Teshwar, wrote it in 1894, The Holy Science. Sri Teshwar gives a, uh, an, exp an explanation of this, these different ages. We won't go into that in much detail now, but only to say that <clears throat> these are great cycles of time. And what creates these changes of ascending consciousness and descending consciousness. It's a 24,000 year cycle. Well, Sri Yukteswar explained way ahead of his time that at the center of our, not solar system, but galaxy, there is a huge pulsing center of energy, of life force, of prana, as Master defined, of intelligent, subatomic energy that sustains all life. And as our little solar system moves nearer in its orbit in the galaxy to this grand center of energy, which in, according to the teachings of ancient India, it's called the Vishnu Nabhi, the grand center of sustaining energy of creative life force. As our little solar system moves closer to that grand center of energy, it enlivens the planet. It enlivens the consciousness. And people perceive things that they never thought were possible before. And on the, other, on the other side, as it moves away from that center of energy, knowledge is lost. Understanding is lost. We still don't know how they built the pyramids. There's many theories, but none of them seem to bring very true to me because they were built in a higher age. They had abilities that we don't have right now. There's a wonderful book that, if you're interested in going into this more, written by uh, Joseph Selby and David Steinmetz on the, the great cycles of time, the yugas, and it's a very well done book. But Master came at this point, the transition between Kali Yuga, which is the lowest age, and in that age, things are fixed. They are, people think, can only think in terms of form. If you would, you know, be teletransported back to the Middle Ages and show someone your cell phone, I mean, imagine. I mean, they would think you were, they would probably think you were a god and, and begin worshiping you, where we don't think that way today. But all that to say is Kali Yuga is defined by form, by external definition, and all the expressions of man, religion, it's 
dogmatism, separateness. My religion is different from your religion. And people are seen uh, not as in an inclusive way, but defined in little tribes. And this is my, my territory, this is my state, this is my religion. And, and well, and then we moved away from that, that material form defined dogmatic, rigid thinking of Kali Yuga. We are in the transition now into Dwapar Yuga. A master came now because Dwapar Yuga is characterized by being an age of energy. Here we are, life force. And so it is that we need to know how to use this life force if we are going to be able to evolve as we can, the potential is there. What's going on right now in the world, Swami said this 10 years ago, the old forms of Kali Yuga are being animated by the new energy of Dwapara Yuga. And that's why we see the rise of race, racism or the more outward expression of it, of politics that is just thinking only of itself, only uh, we need to improve our country, forget about all the other alliances we've built. And so that kind of, that old forms, once I, I was talking about this transition with somebody, and I said, it's like dinosaurs on steroids. Their time is over, but they're still animated. But Master came at this time to show us how we can help make this transition help humanity through awareness of energy, through the techniques he brought at this particular time. And Master's mission was to show, it was a vision of unity, breaking down all the forms. Here he came from India to the West at a time when there wasn't much exchange between these countries. And Sri Yukteswar, his guru said to him, and an amazing bit of guidance before he left, he said, forget you were born a Hindu, but don't become an American. Take the best of your brothers everywhere that you meet and incorporate them into your being. And just so, that is what he did. He took the best of the East, the West. He showed the unity. He, he, so his mission in one part was to show the underlying unity in the teachings of Christ in the Bible and Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita. He used those two, but really it was to show the underlying unity of all religions, breaking down the forms of Kali Yuga that said, you, your beliefs are different from my beliefs. You, where, you, know, you pray this way and I pray that way, it's a different God. There is only one God. There is only one life force, and we are all a part of it. Every religion is like a facet of the great diamond of that divine consciousness. And so we, Master came to show a unitive approach to religion, to social interaction, to uh, living in this world. But he also came to show a unitive factor in every aspect of our life. There is an underlying spiritual quality that can be found in business, in politics, in marriage and family, in um, 
material prosperity, all of these things, and in world brotherhood colonies. That was a big part of his mission for Dwapara Yuga, and Ananda has taken that mission forward. And, you know, it's not just about world having a community. It's not just a social experiment is what I'm trying to say. It's a living laboratory where people can come together and demonstrate that if you live this way, you will find happiness, you will find success, you will find harmony with your brothers and sisters, and to demonstrate simplicity of living and high thinking. And so it's such an expression of Dwapara Yuga. It's such a wonderful uh, way to show life force and destiny. You know, when the first, let's say, the founding members of Ananda came in those first few years, 1969, 70, 71, 72, a big group of us came, not big, maybe 30, seemed big. Um, and we were all interested in yoga, interested in meditation, from basically middle-class backgrounds. Basically, some had college education, some didn't. But what happened? We were drawn into the life force, the prana, that Master charged Swami with. And we felt that, and we knew it was our destiny. We knew, okay, I've never even camped out, speaking of myself personally. I'm going to be spending my first winter living in a teepee with no heat. And, and it all seemed perfectly normal because we understood this wasn't about us. And it wasn't about even the simplicity of the life in the beginning. It was about demonstrating you can live these teachings in Dwapara Yuga. And it's, as Swami said, Master was a way shower for this age, for this age of Dwapara Yuga. And by changing our life force, we not only change the destiny, our own destiny, but we change the destiny of the world. That's what Master was able to do. Master said of Sri Yukteswar, the greater the self-realization of an individual, the less he is affected by the changes around him and the more he is able to effect changes in the world. And that's what Master did. And that's what Swami picked up after him. And that's what we, each in our little ways, have tried to continue doing this. And so, yes, we, we live now in a time of turmoil. We live now in a time of unrest. It's, it's I know from many letters that we receive, people are fearful. They're unsettled. I got a phone call, we got a phone call the other night just from a friend saying, the pandemic is making me scared. And people are feeling that, and why not? It's an unknown force in the world. But if we can understand that we have a responsibility, and Swami said this, I found it very, very compelling. He said, one of the hallmarks of Dwapara Yuga is people need to take personal responsibility for changing their own life and helping to change the world around them. Take personal responsibility. And Master gave us the techniques. He gave us the understanding of what is life force, how to feel it, 
I mean, even from the very simple, very first time you learn the energization exercises, oh, I can send energy with my will to a body part. That's learning to use life force. And it goes deeper and deeper. And, and if, as you go deeper with your Kriya practice, you begin, I can channel that life force up my spine. I can burn out old habits, old ways of thinking that have plagued me, that I couldn't with my mind overcome. And so to look at the turmoil in the world around us, not with fear, but with understanding that this is what Master came from to get us through this period. And I want to read just briefly. This is from, you know, Swami gave us so many extraordinary books, and it's hard to keep reading all of them, but this is Religion in the New Age and Other Essays for the Spiritual Seeker. And this is from an, an essay called, What is Happening to Our Planet? This was written in 2008, 12 years ago. And this is what Swami says. The conflict between the old rigidity and dogmatism of Kali Yuga and the newborn openness of Dwapara Yuga seems destined soon to flare into open conflict. We may indeed live to see world war wars far more devastating than those in the past, terrible as they were. We may suffer other disasters, plague, world economic depression, even global cataclysms, before human consciousness can be softened enough to receive unobstructedly the rays of Dwapara Yuga. Earth changes, should they occur, will be nature's response to the disharmonious, disharmonious thoughts and energy which at present rage in human hearts. A slight shift in people's thoughts and energies, however, if turned in the direction of greater harmony, would result in worldwide change for the better. Devastation, on the other hand, should it occur, will serve to clear the ground, so to speak, for the next season's crops. Disaster during this ascending age will not be total. Indeed, any change will prove ultimately beneficial. Very reassuring words. Very, very timely words written before when the world was not in the current situation. It is. But we have a personal responsibility. We have been given great understanding. Master has brought, Swami has taught us to understand what life force is, how it flows through us, how we can use it to uplift our consciousness. And in that uplifted consciousness, to take personal responsibility for helping to uplift ourselves, to uplift all those around us, and to uplift the planet. I'll just end with a prayer of masters. And I ask you to silently join me in this. Oh, eternal energy, awaken in me conscious will, conscious vitality, conscious health, conscious realization, and upliftment 
for the world through the vision of our oneness in God. Om. Peace. Amen. Thank you. And I also want to remind you that we have three wonderful recorded talks uh, on the same topic that Jatish and I have shared. One by uh, all three from our teachers in India. One from Nayaswami Dhyana on increasing your energy. One from Sherjo and Narayani who live in our work on our Mumbai Center, serve there. Sherjo will be see, speaking on increasing your magnetism, and Narayani will be speaking on uh, cooperating with God's power. So these will be available to you, and you can watch them online at any time. Uh, so thank you so much, and welcome to a week of light and blessings to all of you. <laughs>